0: Hello and welcome to Truth and Journalism, a radio broadcast dedicated to applying the Word of God to current events. Well, today on Truth and Journalism, we're going to talk about stunts. Our article is from TheHill.com and is entitled, Democrats Seethe Over Migrant Political Stunt at Martha's Vineyard by Alexander Bolton. Senate Democrats are seething over what they say was a political stunt by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Republican, and Texas Governor Greg Abbott, Republican, who have sent plane loads and busloads of Venezuelan migrants from Texas to Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and Washington, D.C. Democratic lawmakers have grown increasingly frustrated with DeSantis and other GOP governors for transporting migrants to the liberal metropolises of Washington, New York, and Chicago in an effort to pressure the Biden administration to pay more attention to illegal immigration. On Thursday, locals were dealing with the GOP moves not only in the quaint vacation spot off the coast of Massachusetts, but also near Vice President Harris's official residence in Washington, D.C. Senator Tim Kaine, Democrat Virginia, who pressed to include significant immigration reform in his year's congressional agenda, said DeSantis' stunt had disqualified him as a serious candidate for president in 2024. It's a horrible stunt, but none was worse than what DeSantis just did, and it should disqualify him from ever serving one more day in office," Kane said. DeSantis had about 50 migrants in Texas sent to Martha's Vineyard, while Abbott sent two busloads of mostly Venezuelan migrants to the vice president's residence. Kane noted that Venezuelan migrants are fleeing one of the most brutal dictatorships in the world, and that the United States is the largest provider of humanitarian aid to Venezuela that DeSantis would go to Texas to round up Venezuelans to drop them off in Martha's Vineyard. The guy has not the shadow of a heart or a conscience. It's outrageous, Kane said. These poor Venezuelans, what they're suffering. The arrival of two plane loads of Venezuelan migrants caught local officials in Martha's Vineyard by surprise and sent them scrambling to find food and shelter on the small island, which has 17,000 year-round residents and where finding enough housing for the influx of summer seasonal workers is a challenge. The Martha's Vineyard Chamber of Commerce on Thursday called the situation a humanitarian crisis, and Republican Governor Charlie Baker's office said he was staying in touch with local officials to monitor efforts to provide short-term shelter services. Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat, Massachusetts, blasted DeSantis for dropping off the migrants without any advance warning to local officials. It is cruel to treat human beings like pawns in a political game. He has reached a new low, she said at DeSantis. Senate Democrat Equip Dick Durbin, Illinois, who led unsuccessful immigration reform negotiations with Republicans earlier this year, said it was cruel and inhuman for Abbott to ship migrants to Chicago without any coordination with local authorities who are struggling to absorb the new arrivals into the city's social services network. When the governor of Texas will not even give us a phone call to tell us these families are arriving on buses in Union Station in Chicago, it is a cruel and inhuman, and it's a petty political stunt on his part. I hope he's held accountable, he said. Durbin, who met with newly arrived migrant families last week in Chicago, said moral standards have been grossly violated by this conduct. He recalled meeting a couple who trekked across Central America with their two babies to reach the United States to request asylum, who went through every conceivable indignity to reach safe haven. Now they have come to the United States and have the governor of Texas heap this indignity on them. It is just unfair and it's un-American, he said. He said the influx of migrants is putting a strain on Chicago's social welfare services. Officials have resorted to setting up cots at the Salvation Army Rescue Center to shelter them. Right now, Arizona and Texas and a few others take the whole burden, and other states ought to take their fair share, said Senator Mitt Romney, Republican Utah, who served as governor of Massachusetts from 2003 to seven. Romney has frequently criticized former President Trump, underscoring how on immigration, the moves by DeSantis and Abbott do not appear to be dividing Republicans. Texas Senator John Cornyn also defended DeSantis and Abbott. He said if Democrats are upset, they should do something about it by taking action to limit the flow of people across the border. So, in case you miss the growing trend, sending migrants to Martha's Vineyard was just the most recent move by red state governors to pressure the Biden administration to do something about the border. And I must say that there is something inherently rich and hilarious in watching blue state governors and blue city mayors cry foul about the overwhelming influx of illegal immigrants into their cities and states. They're calling these actions a stunt. They are complaining that Governors Abbott and DeSantis haven't called ahead. They say that it's cruel and dehumanizing. It's a stunt. Now, I'm not going to spend the whole episode pointing out the logical incoherencies of the Democrat arguments against this practice. Other people who are committed to politics and not theology have already done so. But I will say that the arguments against Abbott and DeSantis are either incoherent, idiotic, or bad faith. The reality is, is that there is one person who actually has the power to do something about this now, and that's President Biden. And there is one body who has the power to provide a more permanent solution. That's Congress. So Congress has the power to build a wall, to pass border legislation, to empower border patrol. The president has the power to enforce the laws we have in the books. He can halt all entry into the country. He can stop and detain people at the border. This may be a problem with no complete solution, but it's not a problem without a satisfactory solution. Immigration stabilized throughout President Trump's turn in office. Border removals were up, but interior removals basically disappeared because blue state govs and mayors refused to help enforce the laws. So, so so-called sanctuary cities resisted ICE's ability to remove illegal immigrants. But, according to research compiled by Cato, the total number of illegal immigrants residing in the U.S., Dropped from about 11.3 million to 10.9 million from 2016 to 2020. Granted, the total number had been on a decline since 2010, when it was estimated to be about 12.5 million. And the number stabilized and declined under President Trump's presidency, despite a booming economy and a refusal to enforce the law in many places in the U.S. interior. So, again, there will probably never be a complete solution to ending illegal immigration, but we certainly can significantly reduce it and there is a moral and theological case to ending illegal immigration. Despite the caterwauling of congressional professional mourners, these morologists have actually set themselves up for a fall. By claiming that sending illegal immigrants to very large wealthy cities in the north, they're proving the point. Illegal immigration is immoral, exploitative, and intolerable. Let me pause and prove my point in a way that is indeed ironic. And it's not only ironic because the quotation itself says the opposite of the point it's trying to make, but it's ironic because it's so often quoted on the internet by people who seemingly have also missed the towering irony of the statement. The quote I'm giving you is the beginning portion of a much longer piece of writing from Anthony Bourdain. And Bourdain has, I admit, a lot of good and worthy and deep insights, but I think he misses the point on at least one major issue, and it's a major issue that a lot of people seem to miss the point on, or... More darkly, perhaps, Bourdain doesn't miss the point at all, but he was pointing out American hypocrisy. I'll leave you to determine whether Bourdain was oblivious or subversive, but here's what he said. Quote, Americans love Mexican food. We consume nachos, tacos, burritos, tortas, enchiladas, tamales, and anything resembling Mexican in enormous quantities. We love Mexican beverages, happily knocking back huge amounts of tequila, mezcal, and Mexican beer every year. We love Mexican people. We sure employ a lot of them. Despite our ridiculously hypocritical attitudes towards immigration, we demand that Mexicans cook a large percentage of the food we eat, grow the ingredients we need to make that food, clean our houses, mow our lawns, wash our dishes, and look after our children. As any chef will tell you, our entire service economy, the restaurant business as we know it, in most American cities would collapse overnight without Mexican workers. Some, of course, like to claim that Mexicans are stealing American jobs. But in two decades as a chef and employer, I never had one American kid walk in my door and apply for a dishwashing job, a porter's position, or even a job as a prep cook. Mexicans do much of the work in this country that Americans probably simply won't do. Now, I'm not going to dispute with him that in many or most major metro areas, illegal immigrants or immigrants on visas do, in fact, do almost all the cooking, cleaning, landscaping, and nannying. I'm not going to dispute that he's never had one American kid come in and apply to be a busboy or a dishwasher. The bigger question is why? Why have no American kids applied for these jobs where Bourdain has worked? Why do Americans demand that Mexicans do this work? Why do Americans refuse to do this work? Because it doesn't pay well enough. It's not a complicated issue. It's not some insoluble riddle. Does decadence and laziness play a part? Sure. Sure. But when I was in high school, I got a job as a dishwasher at a local restaurant working for family friends, and I was grateful for the job, and I worked hard. Growing up in the Evergreen School District, all the boys, at least all of them who wanted money and who weren't farming in the summer, and even some of them who did, all of us worked construction or worked at restaurants or baled hay or fed hogs. Evergreen kids worked for the road crews, the concrete and roofing companies, the fast food joints, the local businesses and farms. The work wasn't beneath us. But in places like Southern California, those jobs don't go to high school kids or people looking for entry-level positions in a career. They become terminal positions for illegal immigrants who are paid slave wages. And everyone, or at least everyone with a shred of honesty, admits that places where illegal immigrants are tolerated in the workforce are places where wages in those fields drop. When Bourdain argues that Americans won't do those jobs, he's wrong and right. He's right that Americans won't do those jobs for those wages, but he's wrong that Americans won't do those jobs. I'm American. I've done those jobs. My wife has nannied for wealthy families. My sister-in-law has nannied for wealthy families, and my wife and her sister are as white as they come. Nobody would mistake them for Mexican. But this is the point. Illegal immigration is not tolerated because it's a humanitarian moral imperative. The fact that all these blue staters are moaning about it proves they don't actually believe their own rhetoric. Illegal immigration is tolerated because it creates a nearly bottomless pool of slave wage workers to make sure that our houses, babies, and dishes are all clean. And this, by the way, isn't new. In the West, there were anti-Chinese leagues because people said that, quote, the Chinaman couldn't outwork the white man, but he could underlive him. And this is not in any way to diminish the plight of Chinese immigrants to this country. A lot of people suffered very significant trauma and hardship. But the point was that having a huge pool of labor that would work for far less than others was a threat to the wages and standards of living of other workers. And this has happened all over the world many times over. There is a constant struggle between wage earners and wage payers and consumers. Wage earners have an incentive to form guilds and unionize to ensure that wages stay high. Wage payers have an incentive to increase the labor pool to create a race to the bottom and earn more profits. Consumers have an incentive to see prices lowered across the board. But for some reason, lots of people in America, lots of people who like to view themselves as compassionate, caring, class-conscious people are either blithely unaware or cynically don't care that there are millions of people in this country who are living far below Far below where a fair market would place them because it's convenient for capitalists and consumers to bring in illegal immigrants and pay them lower wages so that the business owners pocket more money and the consumers save more. But this is immoral. It's not only immoral because it's exploitative towards the illegal immigrants who are participating in their own victimization, by the way, but it's immoral towards actual citizens who want to do those jobs, but who also pay taxes and want to earn a decent wage. It's also immoral because it's employing people without paying into the Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, workers' compensation systems. It creates a criminal class of employees who are taking wages, taking jobs, and not paying into the system they exploit. Now look, if I lived in a desperately poor and crime-ridden place, I might be tempted to hop the border illegally too, but let's not pretend that what they're doing is a victimless crime because it isn't. It drives down wages, it takes money out of the social safety nets, it leaves broken societies in Mexico and Central America where there are whole communities with no men. More than that, it undermines the actual value of citizenship. Tolerance of illegal immigration reinforces the ludicrous cosmopolitan notion that we're all just citizens of the world and that citizenship in a nation and state and community don't matter, but of course they do. Maybe if every self-described citizen of the world would voluntarily deregister themselves to vote, I might take them a little more seriously, but they don't, so I won't. The undermining of the value of citizenship is destructive to the body politic and weakens communal ties and the sense of responsibility to a people and a place that God has put upon all people. And perhaps the worst thing about tolerance of illegal immigration is that it teaches us to look at Mexicans as an underclass. I don't think people realize this, but when you see illegal immigrants, almost all from Mexico, and they are the only people who are doing what some consider menial tasks, that is a formative power on the brain. We associate a race of people with a kind of work, and if that weren't bad enough, we associate a race of people with work that we deem dirty and beneath us. Mexicans are not only deemed to be an underclass, albeit subconsciously, but because they lack citizenship and political agency, they have no means of raising themselves above their current position, and that sounds an awful lot like slavery. And perhaps it's worse in some ways, because at least with slavery, you had to look its ugliness in the face and recognize it for what it was. But with illegal immigration, we're creating a permanent underclass and patting ourselves on the back because of how nice and virtuous we are. I could say more on this topic, but suffice to say that theologically, from a Christian perspective, illegal immigration is immoral. And as Christians, we should seek to uphold laws, value citizenship and communal duties, protect tradesmen and unskilled workers, and maintain the dignity of all people despite their race, heritage, or place of origin. Christians have a moral duty. Let me say this again, very clearly. Christians have a moral duty to oppose illegal immigration because illegal immigration is immoral. So I hope and pray that we will take that duty seriously. And I hope you'll join us again next time for another exciting episode of Truth in Journalism. Thank you, and may God bless your day to his glory.